1: The numbers are in for the American Health Care Act Part 2, and the reports from the Congressional Budget Office say that while a few more people would keep their insurance than in the first draft of the bill, we would still see more than 20 million people lose their insurance. And while cost savings, when you talk about the overall deficit, uh, would be better, they would still be north of $100 million, it may not be enough to override the losses in people with coverage. So what is the future for the AHCA? We turn to uh, we turn to Bob Town, who's professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Texas at Austin and a former professor here at the Wharton School in the Healthcare Management Department. He joins us on the phone and also with us in person here in the studio, Rob Field of Drexel University, professor of law and professor of Healthcare, care, uh, should say health management and policy. Rob, great to see you again, as always. Thanks, Thanks. Happy to be here. Bob, great to have you on the phone with us today. Good morning. Uh, let's get reactions to the scoring. Uh, Bob, I'll start with you. Well, I don't
0: think there's much surprise here. Um, it's pretty similar to the, the previous version uh, that the Republicans um, passed, in, in, or at least put together in, in uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, the number of uninsured uh, go down slightly. Uh, there's uh, The impact on the deficit is meaningfully uh, less. From this bill, so in, in that sense, it's less attractive uh, than than kind of the earlier versions of the AHCA, and uh, so I think that's the the uh, kind of big headlines here. That the the um, some of the details that are interesting are that you know it's really this bill is going to really have differential impacts on people of different ages and yep. incomes. Yeah. Uh, in particular, you know, if you're old and relatively Poor and relatively sick, you could see substantial increases in your premiums to the point where, you know, you would be essentially not able to afford your coverage. You know, and that's one of the things that the ACA, you know, strove to, to accomplish was kind of an evening out of the, the access to health insurance as a function of age and uh, health status.
2: Rob? So the CBO scores are really political documents, not so much economic documents. Uh, they they have to abide by certain preset rules. In some cases, they don't make a lot of sense. And when you're projecting 10 years out, who knows what's going to be happening then? Right. Um, one thing that's important that it doesn't take account of is mm-hmm. the second order effects throughout the system. What will it mean for hospitals if we have 23 million more people without coverage, yeah. particularly poor people who have no other means to pay? What does it mean for the doctors and the other person? Providers, what does it mean for insurance companies to have their uh, risk pools uh, shaped in different ways? Uh, that I think is going to be at least as important as the number of people who are out there without coverage.
1: Your comments are welcome at this point. Eight four four Wharton is the number to give us a call. Many of you, I'm sure, are, uh, are are users of the ACA right now, and probably have a lot of questions about the potential of the AHCA. You're more than welcome to give us a call at eight four four Wharton eight 844- four four 942 or again if you like if you can't get your phone you're more than welcome to send us a comment on Twitter. Best way, you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We'll bring up the comments on the show for our guests, uh, Bob Town of the University of Texas, Rob Field of Drexel University. You mentioned uh, the, the number, the 23 mm-hmm. million number, uh, uh, and we're going into a time where the baby boomer generation is getting right. older. Uh, these are people that are going to need this coverage mm-hmm. when they, you know as they continue on. And thinking out the next decade, that becomes a potential, it seems like, a big problem for healthcare, which already has a bunch of problems right now. Right.
2: Well, the group that's particularly vulnerable is those just be- below the age of 65. Once you're 65, you're in Medicare, yep. uh, you're, your problems are pretty much solved. Yep. Uh, 55 to 65, if you're working for a company that provides coverage, you're also set. But what are we going to see over the next 10 years in terms of the workforce dynamics? Are we going to see more people going out on their own, or early retirement, yep. uh, companies dropping coverage? Uh, those are the people who are particularly
1: at risk. So I, I guess, uh, Bob, the, the interest. Or kind of the key ingredient here is uh, uh, kind of playing off of what Rob says is what we see with with people and their decisions on working and how long they work. And seemingly the last few years, we have seen more people wanting to work longer into their you know early seventies. Right now, still that does present a problem for the low in- income people that may not you know have that steady work or may not get their health care from their from their daily work.
0: Yeah, no, the economists have a, have a- Term that we like to use. It's called job lock, and the idea there is that that you may be tied to your job just so you can get health insurance. Right. And one of the goals of the ACA was to um, kind of um, to alleviate the impact of job lock, and 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 I think it it, it uh, succeeded to to a meaningful degree there. And 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 you know this bill would would kind of reverse that, and it would make it challenging for somebody who's 62 who is kind of ready to retire in, in all other dimensions, but, you know, needs health insurance. And if they, um, you know, try to go get health insurance on the individual market they might find it very challenging and it would make sense just to stay in the job for another three years in order to get you know qualify for medicare
2: Right. at the other end of the economic spectrum are the people on medicaid and i i think that is more of a change than what they're going to do with the exchanges it's going to affect more people and it's going to affect more of the health care system because right. there are more hospitals that rely on medicaid pediatric hospitals safety net hospitals um, So uh, uh, the the restructuring of Medicaid, it goes further back even than the ACA. It rewinds the clock uh, even uh, back to 1965 when the program was founded right. by changing the formula for payment. So I think the potential for change there and for affecting people uh, is going to be much more significant.
1: Again, your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the other questions, Rob, that obviously is still brought up is uh, we see more and more insurers right now with the ACA deciding this is just not an affordable idea for us to be a part of right now. Uh, We have the issues now with the AHCA. So we're in a situation, it feels like that, again, for millions of Americans, it doesn't feel like there are going to be great options going forward one way or the other. No, I don't think there are. Um, The AHCA uh, limits things substantially. uh,
2: And from the insurance company's point of view, there was enough uncertainty under the ACA, although that seemed to be stabilizing. But now it's anyone's guess as to what's going to happen. If I were an insurance executive, I'm not sure what I would do. And since insurers, uh, what's toxic to them is uncertainty – uh, this is a extremely toxic environment, and I think if I were running a company, I would want to stand back and at least wait. Bob?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, you know, for, you know, an insured participation in, in the kind of uh, post-AHCA um, um, world is not very attractive. The amount of money that's going to be subsidized is going to be su- uh, substantially less, so, you know, people are going to be buying less generous coverage. Yeah. Um the, the, you know, and that means there's kind of the the amount of dollars of profits you can earn per enrollee is going to go down, um, and I think you know many of them are already on the edge. So I. I, I can own can't imagine that uh, this bill would only uh, reduce the amount of participation in the exchanges from the insurers.
1: How much of a concern was it for you, uh, Bob, the, with the plan with the ACA of the stories we heard about healthy, younger, millennial-age people not getting insurance and willing to take the penalty, whatever that penalty was, because it was more cost-effective for them to do that than be involved with insurance? And and how that could continue to play out as as we move forward, or do you think it will start to subside and we will see more healthy twenty and thirty year olds picking up coverage just in general?
0: Well, I think you know I think that was you know one of the the you know uh, flaws of the ACA was you know its kind of reliance on uh, millennials participating in the risk pools and and kind of relying on the penalties to induce them to do so. You know, it, it, frankly, for a young, healthy person, you know, it wasn't a good deal for them. And so it made sense for them not to, to buy insurance. And I think, you know, taking that into account in a more systematic way was a, was an important flaw in the ACA. Um, and But, you know, under the AHCA, I think that it's worse, right, because there is no uh, incentive for, you know, penalty at all for, for yeah. millennials to, to not, you know, buy insurance. Um now they'll they'll get a subsidy and so what you know that might be a $2000 subsidy and so what would make sense probably for them to do would to be buy the uh, a policy with the, that gets you $2000 worth of coverage which is basically going to be maybe a bit of preventive care and a high deductible you know hospitalization policy which is you know for the most part, not super valuable unless you get in a motorcycle accident.
1: But what does that do then for insurance in general? Even if you have that that small amount, that two thousand uh, dollar bump that, that that you get, what do you think that does to the to the overall uh, scope of insurance?
0: Well, I, I think you're going to see uh, uh, an expansion of very kind of limited policies that we don't kind of recognize as health insurance. You're going to see a lot of those kind of like the policies I just described, which are basically going to be uh, pegged to what the subsidies would be, um, which are based on, on age, basically. And so, um, so that's. I think you'll see uh, a lot of those types of policies being offered on the exchanges.
2: So I think that's a very important point, is that we've got fewer people having coverage, but those who have coverage uh, may not have anything we would recognize today as real health insurance. This cuts back substantially on the essential benefits that have to be covered, and it gives states a lot of leeway uh, to tinker with that. Uh, Before the ACA, we saw policies that had very low limits. You know, maybe a couple of thousand dollars is all they would pay for something. So if you have a high deductible and a low limit, uh, you're really covered for nothing. Um, that is, so we may have people, young people, buying policies, uh, but if they need to use them, they're going to find they're pretty much worthless. And that's a, a wild card in here uh, that the CBO I don't, I don't think really looked at, um, but that's going to be important in terms of the actual effect on the ground. What about the effect on on people with pre-existing conditions as well? Well, it's going to make it even harder for them because states are going to be able to do a workaround uh, and allow insurers to charge them a lot more and basically make it unaffordable for someone with a pre-existing condition to to get coverage. And the guts of the ACA was to get at those people, was to find a way to cover them. Now, the... um, Republicans who passed this talked about high risk pools, and they added a little bit of funding for that. But high risk pools take huge amounts of funding, uh, orders of magnitude more right. than, than what they've allocated. So there really isn't going to be a good backup option for people who are sick and really need the coverage. Bob? Yeah, no, I th- that's exactly right. You know, I think, you know, at
0: At the end of the day, I think um, the policy discussion is kind of focused on whether, you know, whether premiums increasing or who's participating in an exchange. And, you know, but I think that's a little bit misplaced. I think the real question is, you know, what's in the ACA is basically it's a redistribution. It's a redistribution of through an in-kind transfer, which basically means we're giving people insurance uh, or heavily subsidized insurance who are at the lower ends of the income um, spectrum, mm-hmm. and then the policy question is: How much does that cost, and what's that worth? Um, and I don't think there's um, much focus on those t- kind of questions. And you know, how important of a policy goal is it for us to um, reduce the uninsured rate by you know 200 million people, uh, and what does it cost, um, and is it worth it? And you know, I think those are all valid questions and to debate, but you know, the, the debate around the ACA and the AHCA tend not to focus on those questions.
1: Your comments welcome at 844 Wharton, 844-942-7866 as we're digging into the issues surrounding healthcare, the ACA, the AHCA, uh, because of the uh, the scoring coming out yesterday by the Congressional Budget Office. Your comments again welcome. 844-942-7866 or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the things rob that that was mentioned in a couple of articles surrounded some of the things where the premium costs are going to are going to rise significantly and one was around substance abuse Mm -hmm. and we are in an issue right now where we are seeing a growing concern about opioid addiction in so many cities around the country right now seemingly this kind of you're hitting a wall here where you have a problem that you would like to be able to fix But seemingly, this potential plan is not going to be the one to do that.
2: Yeah, well, this gets to some of the second-order effects of this that the CBO was really able to look into. A lot of those people are covered by Medicaid, and this bill would throw a lot of people off Medicaid. And that is really the main source of coverage for, for substance abuse in terms of the number of people. And by tinkering with the essential benefits, it means behavioral health coverage can be cut out of the policies on the exchanges making it harder for those people. So this is going to clearly exacerbate the substance abuse problems, which means that you're going to push the balloon on one side and it's going to pop up somewhere else. And we're going to, we can't just let it fester. So there's going to be a need for some other kind of government program to deal with this.
1: Mental health, uh, Bob and maternity care also linked in, in that type of area as well.
0: Yeah, those are, you know, areas that are, um, you know, one, you, you can uh, are high cost
1: and, and
0: or potentially high cost. And so, you know, and if you can carve that out of a benefit, you can as an insurer, you can uh, not only save costs directly, but you kind of uh, shape your, your risk pool and um, and they would have an incentive to do so. I mean, the, the essential benefit um, mandates in the ACA were put there for a reason. Um, and once you pull those out, you know, things start to unwind a bit.
1: We're joined by Bob Town of the University of Texas, Rob Field of Drexel University. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton, eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney21. It wouldn't seem, Rob, that we're not going to see some, some amazing battle right now going on on Capitol Hill in the next few weeks where the Senate is concerned. Mitch McConnell has already come out and said it doesn't look like we have 50 votes right now. I, I don't know if he can get to 50, no matter what. He, I mean, he's going to have to do some unbelievable wheeling and dealing like they did in the House of Representatives to get this passed.
2: Yeah, well, we first of all, we have no idea what they're going to come up with. We we have the secret, the, the men, the, the 13 uh, uh, white men. Uh, uh, debating uh, what to do about this. So we don't know what they're going to come up with. But yeah, if you look at what uh, Paul Ryan uh, went through in the House and barely eked out a a victory with with two votes to spare uh, and the Senate being more moderate, uh, where is that middle ground? Um, In in a way, I think the Republicans are a victim of their own success. Um, They have come into power, but as a result of that, they've broadened their tent. Uh, so they have people at, at two ends uh, who are not going to agree on much, particularly for something as volatile as, as health care.
1: Yeah, that fracturing, uh, Bob, is uh, in the Republican Party. is it, it really is starting to come back to haunt them a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think
0: Lindsey Graham, uh, I think, tweeted out, um, you know, maybe it's just better for the Senate just to, you know, not even, you know, uh, considered the bill and just kind of let the ACA kind of stand. And then, you know, from his view, uh, let it fail. Um as is, um, so I think you know it's really a challenge. The, the Medicaid part, as Rob was saying earlier, is really a substantial impact on the states, and the senators are going to be much more in tune with the financial impacts of Medicaid on the states than the House. And you know I think that's the area where um, they would like to, uh, I I'd probably focus most of their attention on and trying to m- reduce the impact on Medicaid. But they don't have a lot to play with. They have a you know 119 billion dollars. To play with, um, and and that's not going to really uh, affect you know the Medicaid that much, and so their their hands are a little bit tied here uh, in that sense. Um, So now they could they could you know reduce the impact on Medicaid and and reduce the change in the the tax code aspects of this, which are you know reducing the amount of revenues that the um, the government takes in by a substantial amount, And, and and try to increase the you know Medicaid or decrease the impact on medicaid but you know again it's they're a little bit their hands are a little bit tied here
2: One thing to keep in mind when you're talking about CBO projections is they're over a 10-year period. Right. So $119 billion is $11.9 billion a year. Uh, Medicaid has a budget that's now about in the neighborhood of half a trillion dollars. So this is— Drop in the bucket. Yeah, this is is meaningless. So they have uh, very, very little room to play with.
1: Well, Bob, you mentioned an interesting word, which obviously has been brought up a lot by the Republicans, is the word failure and this expectation of failure of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, obviously, there are issues with it. Obviously, we know that there are things that need to be corrected with it. Uh, we see health insurers pulling out. But th- the word failure seems to be one that, that has a different connotation depending on who you talk to right now. So it, when you hear that word failure, what does that mean to you when you're talking about the ACA?
0: Well, I think that's, you know, that's an incorrect Characterization of the ACA. I mean, there's certainly areas of the country where it's not working as well as it could, but for the vast majority of the country, it's 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 working reasonably well, um, and and so for most people, it's working reasonably well um, and as designed. Um, there are sc- clearly some areas where you know the insurers are are you know, making a decision that that it doesn't make sense for them to participate. And, you know, places are starting to get uh, their choices are starting to be very limited places like Iowa or, you know, Philadelphia area. Yeah. So, so, um, so that, yeah, so I think that it, that's an exaggeration that, it, that it's failing. I think it's certainly the um, need some tweaking um, and some areas of the country are under pressure a bit. Uh, but there's also many parts of the country that it's working just as expected.
1: So then so then Rob let's focus on tweaking for a second. Mm-hmm. What needs to be tweaked in your mind, and and how do we go about doing that, if that seemingly is the best way to be able to still protect as many people as you can with insurance? Right. Well, the minor
2: tweaks would be to change the structure of the subsidies, so that there isn't this cliff at 400 percent of the poverty level, and if you're just above it, you get no subsidy. Those are the people who are really at risk here, because if you get a subsidy, then the premium hikes don't affect you, at least don't affect you that much. So having more of a gradual tail-off that Covers uh, a wider range of incomes. Uh, I think that would be one of the first things you do. Uh, you deal with the employer mandate, which has yep. another cliff at 50 employees, and maybe have a gradual phase in on that. Uh, you would also address the issue of the cost-sharing subsidies, the piece of the ACA that uh, fills in for if you're very poor for copays and deductibles, and that's now in in legal limbo. Uh, the insurers, one of the things that's making them hesitate is they don't know if the government will pay for that, and they could be left holding the bag. So right. I think stabilizing that would be very important. And then stabilizing reinsurance, uh, what's called the risk corridors, uh for insurers as they enter the market uh, if losses are greater than expected.
1: Bob, anything you'd like to add to there?
2: No, I, th- I think those are all
0: uh, terrific suggestions. I, I might you know the way the subsidies are determined, I don't want to go too much in the weeds cuz it's really kind of techno economics yeah. but the way the subsidies are determined is a it it's just non optimal right so it's based on kind of the second lowest silver plan and and it kind of creates distortions in how premiums are set in a way that can kind of make them too high or too low and so um I would would suggest changing that to a more fixed, you know, amount, fixed subsidy. Um, I think that's probably a better way, and and, and I understand why they did that in the ACA, because they weren't quite sure where to set it. Right. Um, But I think they have a good idea of where it should be set now. And, you know, one thing I want to kind of highlight what Rob is saying is kind of the reinsurance component would be one way. You know, the reason that insurers are pulling out is that they're they're really getting hit with a few uh, but extremely high-cost cases that are just making it really – Expensive for them to participate, so I think kind of uh, taking that burden off the insurer through uh, reinsurance pools of some sort um, would be important.
1: Seemingly, though, Bob, the 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 want to be able to do those things and look at it more as just a tweak rather than a, a a repeal and replace. That's not something that seemingly this kind of spectrum of Congress that we have right now is willing to look at. And, and that may be one of the more disappointing things that we have right now.
0: Well, yeah, it's a philosophical, you know, divide here. I mean, there, there's the really, uh, right-leaning Republicans' view that government should be out of health care, and the ACA is, you know, is philosophically uh, an affront to them. Um, maybe less so than a practical affront to them, but it's philosophically a, a, an affront to them. And I think that's the fundamental challenge here.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I think that when you come to healthcare, care, you, you're hitting on some very basic values. Uh, the ACA is kind of a, a communal a pooling uh, of risk and, and of illness, uh, bringing people together, setting rates based on the community uh, rather than each individual's preexisting conditions. Uh, what the AHCA or the presumably the Senate replacement would do, uh, would be to pull things apart, uh, to pull benefits uh, out of the essential benefit package, uh, to pull people out of the risk pool. And it's a, a fundamentally different ideology about the government's role and how to deal with health care.
1: Great to have you both with us. Great seeing you again, Rob. Appreciate it. Happy to Thank be you. Here. Bob, great having you on the phone. Enjoy uh, Austin today. It's a little rainy here in Philadelphia. Beautiful day in Austin. Oh, of course it is. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate the time. It's always a beautiful day in Austin for him. We never get him on a day where it's rainy down there in Austin, Texas.
2: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit
0: knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.